once we're up here. So. Um, now, we just be sharing together, but generally we associate light with good things, dark with bad things. We did see that there was some nuance there, but you know, go with me. The generalisation is that light is good, dark is bad. And it's the same in the Bible. The symbolism is very similar to how we associate light and dark in everyday life. Um, as we've already said, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And at the beginning of creation, he spoke light into the darkness. And life came into our world. And everything was good. Everything was sunny in the garden. But then, of course, uh, mankind disobeyed God. And they chose the darkness over the light. Um, and in effect, they shut themselves out from the light, embraced the darkness, which is death, sickness, sadness, misery, everything we hate about our world. Um, and living without God, we, morally speaking, we stumble as though we're in the dark. Uh, so Jesus came to be our light. And uh, he came to rescue us from the darkness. At the end of time, when Jesus brings the new heaven and new earth, there, there will be just light, just life. We won't need the sun or the moon anymore, it says, because he will be our light. Um, so the Bible's clear, God is light. He's our life source and our rescuer. But what about us? How do we fit into this light-dark light, divide? That's what we're going to be looking at uh, today. And whether you feel like um, a little sunbeam this morning, or a creature of the gloom, um, I'm hoping there'll be something for everyone here. Um, we're going to be focusing on just one verse of the Bible today. There's so much in it. It's from a letter written by the Apostle Peter. And it's 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'll, I'll just read it one more time. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, I know when somebody reads a verse at you, it's really difficult to take it all in, but we'll be looking at it together. Um, and it's a pretty awesome description of Jesus' disciples of our responsibilities and of our privileges. Um, now, originally, Peter would have been writing this letter to believers who were persecuted for living differently to the world around them. Um, and earlier in this letter, Peter described people who did not belong to God. They were not God's chosen people. And he said the reason for that was, simply, they didn't obey God. So, to them, he contrasts the fact that they are obedient. And so he says, in your case, but you are a chosen people. And so we learn immediately that to be one of God's chosen people is means to be obedient to him. 
And being one of God's chosen people is not at all about any kind of exclusive club. When you hear chosen, you think, oh, they're chosen, I'm not. It's not like that at all. We're all invited. Um, and we know that because when we read in the Gospels, um, Jesus embraces the untouchables and he eats with the socially unacceptable. He's just as at home with the rich as with the poor and he welcomes the outcasts. So we know that nobody is excluded from the invitation of life in him. Not even you on a really bad day. <laughs> the only thing that can exclude us is our own choice. The choice to accept Jesus' offer of reconciliation with his Father God or not. And in this verse that we're looking at today, Peter's reminding those of us who have decided to follow Jesus of our true identity. And we're going to look at all the wonderful things he says about us. But before we launch right into it, it occurred to me that sometimes we are so aware of our own personal shortcomings and our difficulties that we disqualify ourselves from what the Bible says about us simply because we don't feel like it's true. And our question is not so much, do I believe in God? It's, does God believe in me? Well, something that I read from Corrie Ten Boom really helped me here. She pointed out that in the accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the, the, the disciples who, who recounted the events just told the facts. They didn't at all say how they were feeling about what was going on. And that's because it's the facts that are important, not our feelings. Because our feelings can change with the weather, with our circumstances, or with our level of indigestion that day. So we really can't trust them. So let's listen to the truth about what God says about us and um, base our attitudes and actions on that and then we can let our feelings catch up with the truth. So first of all, you are a chosen people. Can you say chosen people? Chosen people. Peter's quoting a passage from Exodus here when the Hebrew people were set apart, set apart by God to represent him. They were to renew mankind's original design of being God's representatives on earth. Just like creation was meant to look at Adam and say, oh, so that's what God is like. The nations around this newly formed Israelite people were meant to look at them and say, oh, so that's what God is like. They were meant to live in such a wholesome way as to be distinctively different, to shine in the darkness. But just like Adam blew it, the Israelites blew it, and the Israelites became sucked into the cultures around them, and their light was extinguished. So then Jesus came, and Jesus was the light in the darkness to us. And yet again, he called out a people to be obedient to him, to shine in the darkness. But this time, he left his Holy Spirit to empower us to be that light. So as his disciples, we are the chosen people of God, chosen to shine in the darkness, to show what God is like. Now this brings us to the next thing we are. You are a royal priesthood. Can you say royal priesthood? Royal priesthood. Yes, royal. You are in the presence of royalty. Look around you. <laughs> a royal wedding has got nothing on it. A room full of royalty. And that's because we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. 
Because, because of Jesus, you share in the royal bloodline. And as spiritual royalty, you have influence in the spiritual realm. So on earth, what we say matters. What we do matters. What we pray matters. So that we can bring God's light wherever we go. And if you don't think you're shining very brightly this morning, don't beat yourself up. Be encouraged. When a baby is born to a king, the baby has to grow in stature and in wisdom and has to learn to rule. But from the day of its birth, it is royal. And it's the same with us. When we're born into God's family, we're born again into the royal family of God. And things may be a bit messy and a bit wobbly as we grow, but as long as we're copying our older brother Jesus and we're allowing our Father God to pick us up and dust us down every time we fall, we will learn to rule and we will learn to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And as a priesthood, notice it said you are a royal priesthood, we stand as a bridge between God and people. So it's a high calling of compassion and prayer. And interestingly, I find this fascinating, in the Old Testament, the Jewish high priest wore a robe fringed with pomegranates, not real ones, so it'd be a bit heavy, I think, pomegranates <laughs> and bells. Quite, quite a strange garb, sounds a bit Vivian Westwood to me. Um, but the symbolism of it was um, the bells was because the priest's job was to proclaim the truth of God. So they were proclaimers, like a bell. But also, pomegranates, they weren't only just to talk the talk, they had to walk the walk. Their lives had to bear fruit. And there's nothing that has more seeds in it than a pomegranate, I wouldn't have thought. They're just packed full of them. And there's a picture of our lives as we reproduce the goodness of God as a priest. In, um, in our words, our actions, our prayers. So next we learn that we are a holy nation. Can you say holy nation? Brilliant. As Jesus' followers, we are holy, which means we are set apart, separate, but not separate from people, but separate from the corruption in the world. And to have our lives count as light bringers, we do need to live differently. We need to have God's values, and we need to live with self-sacrificing love. Like stars in the night sky, as someone, someone mentioned, I think it was Jess, um, we need to remain distinct from the darkness. We're surrounded by the darkness, but we need to remain connected to the true light Jesus, and then we will shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation, it says. Um, and the only way we can do that is stay, stay connected to Jesus. Now, union with God often means alienation from the world. And uh, these persecuted Christians that Peter's addressing were subversively different because they maintained that Jesus was Lord, not Caesar. They were willing to live and, if necessary, to die for what they believed. They were all in. And even today, in our relatively accepting environment in the West, sometimes we find that being different is frankly embarrassing. It's awkward. It's not the easy option, is it? But if we're all in for Jesus, we need to accept that there is a price to pay for being different, isn't there? And the alternative is to be sucked in to the darkness and just extinguished. And finally, we're told we are 
God's special possession. Can you say special possession? Special possession. That's a bit of a tangent, special possession. Um, now, we belong to God and he loves us. Just like the prodigal son, we've been embraced by the Father. We've been rejoiced over and welcomed back into his family. Yet, if you're anything like me, you still doubt it. Something that's really helped me, and it may help you, is simply to every time you doubt God's love for you, just remind yourself that he died for you. He couldn't possibly love us anymore. Uh, there's true freedom that comes when we no longer need to prove to ourselves or to others that we are loved, that we are special to God. And, and when we really believe that, we are set free to love other people because it's not a case of competition, trying to look better than other people, but a case of we're free to be compassionate people. In my musings this week, I wondered if someone asked me, what's the best thing about being a Christian? What would I say? What would you say? I just thought it would be good just to pause here um, in your groups, just one or two of you, just share, just for a, a minute, um, what's the best thing about being a Christian? Hope. Hope, okay, yeah, by all means call out if you'd like to. Hope, Jimmy, it's all right, no, it's all right, we'll do it that way. <laughs> Hope, yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Being loved by Jesus. Being loved by Jesus, yes, definitely. Anything else? What, what, just, it doesn't have to be huge. Serving others. Serving others. Serving others, yes, thank you, Andy. Yeah, serving others. Any other good things about being a Christian? It's off the top of your head. Peace. Peace? Having a foundation. Having a foundation, yeah, brilliant. And I'm sure the more you think about it, the more you think, oh yeah, that and that and that. It's just that because we're, we're swimming in being a Christian, sometimes we don't really appreciate all the wonderful things that come with the relationship with Jesus. So it's good just to, to, to stand back and think about what we have. So, to sum up so far, we are chosen, holy, rulers, priests, a people belonging to God himself. Well, if that's our identity, let's end by looking at what's our purpose. Well, Peter says it's so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are to make God known to those around us. And since God is love, we need to make his love known through our words and actions. And one of the most helpful things I've ever heard, I heard it years ago now, I've never forgotten it, was from Heidi Baker. And she said, what does love look like where you are? For me, in Mozambique, it looks like digging wells. But in the West, what does it look like where you live? I mean, perhaps it looks like visiting someone who's lonely, or collecting litter in your community, or doing someone's garden, or helping your boss rather than slagging them off behind their back, or just giving somebody a smile in the street. There are so many different ways that we can show love. Um, and I'd just like to pause here, just for a few seconds, just asking the Holy Spirit to bring someone to your mind. But this week, you can show God's love to them. So just have a bit of quiet. Let's, let, let God just bring someone to your mind. Someone who needs to know Jesus. <clears throat> I hope you've got someone in your mind. If not, don't stress about it. I'm sure you, you're going to meet someone this week that you can be kind to. Um, now think of that person. 
What would love look like to them? What would they like someone to do for them that you could do for them? Right, I hope you are hatching lovely plans to bless people right now, and I hope you'll take that away with you into your week. Um, and something most of us value about Abbey is that we're a church that likes to show God's love in practical ways. And that's so important because Jesus went about doing good, didn't he? Um, but if we're honest, showing God's love by our actions can be the easier bit. What can be a bit more tricky is to make our motives clear. Often we really want people to know that what we're doing for them is because God loves them. But we don't actually tell them that because that's a bit awkward and a bit embarrassing. Um, but sometimes if all we're doing is good deeds for people, then that, that's not clear in itself. You see, even non-Christians can be really kind people. Um, so sometimes we need words as well. And in this verse, it says that we're meant to declare. Um, some translations say we're pro to proclaim, um, but other translations say show. So obviously it's a word that means both. And just like the high priest's bells and pomegranates, <coughs> we need both. We need to tell people and show people the love of God. If we don't, then people will think we're nice or weird, or we're weird and nice, but they won't necessarily make the connection to Jesus. And you can be sure that the persecuted Christians that Peter was writing to in this letter were doing far more than just being kind to people. I mean, who was going to kill them for being kind? They were actually going around telling people about Jesus and saying, he is the rightful ruler, and they were doing what Jesus did. They were doing the supernatural stuff that Jesus did, uh, praying for the sick, asking God for words of knowledge to help people, and all of that stuff. And we still need that today. Um, nothing's changed, but, you know, but Jesus is still the same. The way he works is still the same. Um, these early Christians weren't just nice, they were world changers, and that's what we aspire to be, isn't it? So we need the full package as well. We need our works, and our words, and Jesus' wonders. <laughs> right, so, I'm ending. You might be pleased to know. You can all go to the loo after your cup of tea and take me I just want to end with saying that the way we serve, the way we show others, um, varies with our age and stage of life. But there's always someone who needs to be loved. And the Bible tells us the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So wherever you are, however you're feeling, whatever we are doing, whoever we're with, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We're loved by God and we are called to love in his name. So let's remember we are the chosen, royal, holy people of God. And any of you who think, well, that's not me, all you have to do is make a commitment to Jesus, and that is you. And let's become better and better at shining Jesus' light in the darkness, so people look at us as his body of people and say, oh, so that's what God is like. Okay, thank you. <laughs>